Welcome to the State of Business with the Ohio Society of CPAs. I'm Jessica Salerno-Shoemaker, Senior Content Manager at OSCPA. This is the second episode in our series on workforce development. If you haven't listened to the first episode yet, I encourage you to go back when you have time to hear more about the workforce development crisis in the profession and how it got us to where we are today. Today, we're tackling workforce development from the talent angle, specifically digging into how firms are handling the staffing shortage. While the pipeline crisis is an important part of this, and we will discuss that more in a later episode, this talent crisis is about everyone in the profession, not just the next generation. We're looking at how firms are finding new staff, working to keep retention high, and reskill and upskill their employees. I spoke with Steve Black, Senior Human Resources Manager at firm Brixie & Meyer, about how they handle staff development at their firm. I think you always have to just begin with, with the end of what success is going to look like for the role, for the team, for the organization. There seems to be so many so many opportunities to just throw out certain training and development programs and hope they stick. And so really making sure that it's tied in to say, okay, what are we trying to accomplish with this team? What are we trying to do with this client? What are we trying to do for this new hire that we have that we've brought in? And once you've done that and be able to really define out, here's what success is going to look like, building in training and development programs starting right from initial orientation and onboarding. So that's usually going to be in a number of different work streams, but but to simplify it, you know, number one, what is the team I'm on? So understanding what's this team I'm on, what's the purpose of the team, and getting that new hire so focused in on understanding what are the purposes, so mission and values, vision, and what are the goals of this team so I think that that's important. So here's my place. I'm in this position, whether I'm a new employee or even if I've been, if I've had a promotion. But are there any common uh, gaps in skills that you're seeing that, you know, Brixie and Meyer is thinking, okay, we, we would need to offer training for this area. The first thing that comes to my mind is the, how easy it is to, to rush the process. So I want to start there just in terms of it, it could be, and that's where you could choose anything that you have. I mean, there could be any type of training where you just, you rush the process. So somebody comes in and it's really easy to want to get them up to speed so fast to offset so many of the stress and demands on maybe you as an individual or your team. So it's really easy to rush the process and then things can fall through the cracks. You know, some of the very practical things of that, that I think is a huge error right in the beginning is making sure that with anybody that we we're making sure we have common language. So when somebody comes in and a good example of this would be <clears throat> someone comes in and you say, how are your Excel skills? And I haven't met too many people that don't say, oh, I'm really proficient or I'm advanced. Well, what does that mean? If you just assume Oh, okay. They're fine. Let's move on. And then all of a sudden you go back and there's some major deficiencies because they didn't understand how Excel was being used in the workplace. And the person who is training or trying to develop that new person to the organization heard them say, I'm proficient. I'm, I'm advanced. So that, that gap of language, I think is really important. And then that can come to a number of different areas of where deficiencies can take place. 
Are you paying attention um, to the profession in a broader sense as far as what to train your people? Like if um, you're hearing something at, at maybe another firm or just like uh, generally that um, someone's focusing on or might become a bigger deal, is that something that you guys then will look into more? Or are you pretty focused on, on what you know your people need to know? We we try really, really hard to have our ear close to the ground of what are the trends that are out there? What are the the new ways of doing work? So if that is systems, uh, if it is new trends within within accounting firms of ways that are, are new service lines or new laws that are coming up, we try really, really hard to have our ear close to the ground. So an example of what we do there belonging to a lot of different roundtables and different people within our firm belonging to these roundtables, hearing from other firms, hearing how other people are doing things, and then learning and bringing that back. We try really hard then to make sure if there's something that's really, really important or really good that we do have the training. So before our before busy season kicks off for our audit and tax teams, they spend a lot of time just training and being together as a team and talking through new trends, new laws, new things that are coming up. And then also with technology and we're not perfect with this, but if there's a new, a new technological piece that we can have trying to get the team trained properly to understand it. And then if it isn't fully understand or understood by somebody being able to come back and have the coaching platform that people have a go-to person to say, I don't understand this. And even having that safe place to be able to raise the hand to say, I don't get it. I need help. Can you retrain me? I'm really curious about what you said just now about people having a safe place to, you know, raise their hand and kind of say that they don't understand something and they need more help with it. Um, How do you guys focus on cultivating that because that can be a tough a tough thing to do even for someone who's really comfortable in their role really comfortable with their team to say i'm struggling this with yeah. this i need to learn <laughs> yeah and then that that has to be enforced and reinforced by leadership because if you that's not just something that happens typically you don't typically have a person that comes in because people don't want to look ignorant and people want to want to be able to show that they understand something. So an initiative we started back last summer is something called a, um, creating a coaching culture. And so creating this whole ecosystem within Brixie and Meyer, where, yes, you have your manager, your supervisor, but also calling that person a coach. So this is my coach, and this is the person that I go to. And so part of that is being more disciplined internally to have regular informal and formal one-on-one meetings and to talk and build relationship and to encourage people to to raise their hand early and often. An example I give a lot of times is um are you are you an I Love Lucy fan? Or did, have you ever watched I Love Lucy? I used to when I was younger, like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there's this classic episode where it's called role reversal and it's where you have Lucy and I her best friend's name's escaping me right now. And the two of them, they they go into the workplace outside of the home, and then their husbands stay at home, and they take care of the house. Now, you have to understand the traditional setting there. It's the 1950s, and 
So they had very defined roles at that time. So they switch. Well, Lucy and her, her best friend, they go into this candy factory and they, they're trying to keep up with the machine that's spitting out this candy and they have to wrap the candy and they, they keep going and they're, they're failing miserably. So they get one last chance and they're told, Hey, if you mess this up, you're going, you're going to be fired. So they, the machine starts up again and they start going and the machine starts speeding up and, it, and it's hilarious. You see both of them wrapping the candy, putting it under their hat, putting it down their shirt, putting it and just trying to hide it, putting it in their mouth. And it looks like they're doing well. And, and the supervisor comes out and says, wow, ladies, you've done great. Speed it up. And next thing you know, they're just drowning in work. Well, that that's an example that I think is so good for the workplace because we have so many people that all of a sudden get this work, they start doing it, they get behind a little bit, they have a fear of saying anything, and then it just piles up. And the next thing you know, a supervisor turns around, and a month later, weeks later, a couple months later, they haven't been paying attention, and the work is so backed up, it's an absolute mess. But what we really believe is that if you can instill this coaching culture, this coaching mentality within a workplace, where you're having proactive discussions, meaningful discussions on a regular basis with employees, you're going to create this safer place where it becomes an expectation for you to raise your hand and ask questions because you're telling employees, hey, come to me. I want to coach you through this. I want to teach you. I want to teach you the technology, the technical skills, the soft skills. The, the how you fit into the team. I want to teach that to you and give you this safe place and, and really creating an atmosphere that says mistakes are a good thing as long as you learn from them and you don't keep making the same mistakes. They are a good learning tool. And having that coaching culture all of a sudden allows you to leverage mistakes as not something that's negative all the time, but something as a teaching tool. So I just love that example from uh, from I Love Lucy because it's so it's so perfect in my eyes of what happens in the workplace when we assume people know things or we don't create a safe place for people to be able to raise their hand early and often. Absolutely. And I know you mentioned earlier um, that you guys try to keep your ear to the ear to the ground on trends in the profession and and be really aware of that. On the opposite side and kind of going along with someone feeling comfortable to raise their hand, how often are staff members coming to you and saying, hey, we need training on this area or what are we going to do about this this trend I see? Is that something that they're bringing to um, leadership's attention very often? So, I, yes, yes. In some, in some ways, I would say absolutely yes. Uh, but what I, but I, what I want to make sure people understand is it's not always going to look like a person coming and, hey, can I have a sit-down meeting with HR or can I have a sit-down meeting with my supervisor or the the president of the firm? One one thing I've learned about feedback and about development is, is you've got to create this ecosystem that has a lot of different avenues for people to speak. And so what we've been trying to do and I, and I really, I'm really excited about where, where I've seen this, some of the results land over the past year is we've created multiple feedback mechanisms. So 
one of our feedback mechanisms, we use a, a computer program called Office 5. Office 5 is a, it, it helps us look at employee engagement. It tracks 10 KPIs for engagement, but there's also a, a way that people can give written qualitative feedback. So they can write out areas of a complaint and there's, there's probing questions that come up. So one that I just read this morning, the question was, do you, do you believe you have a safe work environment? And a person can respond to that and it comes up anonymous. So what we get, we get a lot of information. Now it would be very, very naive to think that in a firm our size or in any company that, well, we paid for software, that's going to solve our pro our problem. That's one avenue for feedback. And we do get some feedback there. A second one is our one-on-one -on -one process through this coaching culture of being able to establish that relationship to listen. A third one is where we have our company CEO who does twice a year town halls and meets with different segments of the of the of the workforce. And then we also look for different ways where just open door policies with HR of HR doing uh, for new hires throughout the year onboarding check-ins. The point of all this is to say one is not going to get the results you want, but if you have multiple ways that you're getting feedback, it raises the chances you're going to get the feedback for the exact things you just asked of staff coming and saying, hey, could we do this? Could we do that? And that's that's something I think every organization needs to look at. The accounting profession is obviously something, you know, you need to constantly be learning to evolve, to um, stay up to date with clients or, you know, if you're in industry, just the things that are expected of you. And again, going back to what you mentioned earlier, Brixie and Meyer, paying attention to the profession trends from um, a more holistic perspective. Do you think that the profession is doing enough to support and um, kind of enforce this idea of, you know, continue learning and really committing to it? In things I read, people I talk to, yes, I think there is this, this evolution and there is this growing support. The hard part is, is the practice that the one of the biggest concerns I have, especially when we look at public accounting, there are so many really cool things happening and some exciting discussions and some exciting implementation of things. My biggest concern, though, is the company or the firms that are running so fast and treating this almost like the, the shiny ball syndrome, where it's like, ooh, this looks cool. Let's try this. And not taking the time and to take a step back to say, what does it holistically look like for our firm? The companies that are doing that, they're winning and they're going to win. The ones that are just talking about what's going on and trying the new flavor of the week, they're going to exhaust themselves. They're going to exhaust the company because nothing sticks. So, so when you ask that, there's much better conversation being had. There's many more ideas being had. That's exciting. The implementation piece, I think the, the jury's still out, in my opinion, of who's going to do that well. I also spoke with Allison Fieldman, the owner of consultancy firm Rocket Results, and she spent 20 years as a strategic marketer in the accounting profession. 
She said the shift that she's seen in the past few years has been unlike anything she's ever experienced before. I think the talent shortage is really um, a major obstacle. So my background is in strategic marketing. I've run marketing teams at accounting firms, um, up to 50 individuals. And I, in my career, I have never seen um, what I've experienced in the last couple of years, which is a slowdown in marketing efforts because uh, bringing in new business means that the existing staff is over capacity, right? So instead of uh, marketing's uh, mission to be bring in new work, bring in new work, help us grow organically through new business development, all of a sudden it's help us rethink the work that we already have because our staff is at capacity. Instead, shift your marketing efforts to the recruiting side and help apply marketing best practices and principles to helping us bring in more talent so that we can have the bench available as new work comes in to actually take care of that work. And really, my career has probably spanned more than 20 years. It's the first time I've ever had that experience. So I think that it's shifting. I think the firms that are addressing it for the most part are looking at existing solutions from within the market. So things like automation, um, trying to do more work, processing more work with fewer people, um, or offshoring, um, you know, obviously bringing in cheaper labor from other markets. That's certainly something that um, uh, we've seen in our industry. But I think that the idea that we need to bring in more people, um, it's not really addressing the root of the issue. Um, recruitment is only going to be so effective, and we've seen this huge flight from, from our industry. The question is, how do we restructure our existing organizations to accommodate fewer CPAs? And I think that's where we have a tremendous opportunity for firms to look in other industries for inspiration. So I've worked with all different types of professional services organizations, including um, construction and real estate, um, consultants, law firms. I spent a huge portion of my career uh, in-house at an agency that focused almost exclusively on law firms. And what we've seen from construction and law firms in particular is this move towards um, a project management model where not all the work is done by the subject matter expert, that more of the uh, client-facing interactions, the logistics of the work um, is left to someone that doesn't have a specific degree uh, as a subject matter expert, right? When you think about when you have um, – uh, a major construction project going on, there's always a project manager that acts as a liaison who helps with coordination, communication, setting expectations, managing the flow of deliverables. I think that there's room in our industry for some role that's more akin to that project management model. Um, in an agency world, we call it the account model. It's the same idea, that there is someone that's helping to facilitate a relationship and deepen a relationship that isn't necessarily the person with the credentials. And I think that that 
um, mindset shift could have a considerable impact in our industry if firms are willing to explore different staffing models. But that would require a shift in how accountants and advisors think about the work, how they think about relationship building, um, how they staff their teams, how they operate, right? We've historically seen a lot of accountants um, operate as silos. More and more sophisticated firms have developed more robust industry teams or client teams. I think those firms that really succeed are the ones that have a team structure rather than an individual contributor supporting a client. And in those situations, I think there's a lot more room for that project management model or that account model uh, to flourish. And I think that's really something that we haven't fully seen uh, tested out. I haven't seen a firm that's really uh, invested in creating a model like that. And I think it could possibly be uh, the answer, right? It could allow us to operate firms with fewer CPAs doing the legwork. Um, it's a similar approach to automation in that you find another home for some of that work, but it's not, um, I think all of those tactics between automation and offshoring, they all have to work in tandem. And Allison, given what you just said, it sounds like some of the things that you're suggesting, you know, would be a big um, shift, a big change from how a lot of firms um, structure, the way they do staffing, you know, the way they work every day. Do you think that this is something that is inevitable given, you know, the the amount of talent, given the business environment that we're in, that accounting firms will need to adapt in this way to survive? I mean, whether it's inevitable that they adapt, for sure. I mean, firms aren't um, able to manage the workloads that they have. And as we've seen fewer and fewer students go into accounting programs and actually, you know, come out with a CPA, um, firms are going to have to think carefully about how they deliver the work that they have historically delivered. So, yeah, I think that there's going to have to be a shift. The question is, how is the shift going to happen? We're starting to see a lot of alternative providers pop up, um, you know, with lots of different creative solutions. Um, and, and I'm certainly no expert in those, uh, in those alternative, uh, firm formats. But yes, I think our industry is very much at a crossroads. And with the current generation retiring and firms, um, in many cases lacking really strong succession plans, there's going to be a huge crisis. And I think that the firms that address that crisis creatively and proactively are the ones that are going to succeed. And from talking with these firms, are they very concerned about this? I'm curious what their approach is, or is this one of those things that, you know, on the on the list of things to worry about, is it lower because they feel like they have more pressing issues to deal with? Because really, this is a, a long-term problem. You know, it's something that will continue to be an issue. It's not going to be solved overnight. We're starting to see, I think, tactical shifts, more resources um, thrown at recruiting, for example. Um, I think that we're starting to see firms offload less profitable clients. Um, so we're starting to see the big, big four um, referring business out to smaller firms, um, and that has a trickle-down effect, right? Mid-market firms are then trickling down that work even further uh, further downstream. Uh, and 
I, I think that there are tactical things that are happening now. I don't necessarily think any of the firms are thinking really long-term, big picture about how they might operate with, you know, 25% fewer CPAs in the future. Um, I think that they're looking at structural changes to um, our requirements and um, how how that gets paid for and um, educational requirements, which I think is great. Um, those are really necessary uh, systemic changes that need to be addressed and considered. But I think there's other solutions out there as well. And uh, I've, you know, shared some of those with you. And we've talked a decent amount about, you know, the the problem with potential staffing shortages. But I'm curious about the staff that they do have. Are these firms really focused on making sure that their skills are forward thinking and are competitive in the business environment? Well, I think when you're overloaded with work, it's really, really hard to be forward thinking and proactive to, to deliver the highest quality of service to their clients because, Everyone is stretched thin. Um, the firms that have been staffed the most leanly are struggling the most. Um, people don't want to work in that kind of environment. And individuals see that there are other options out there. They can go in-house. Um, they can work for other types of firms. Uh, they could go out on their own. Um, and there's lots of different options available. And I think COVID only um, exacerbated some of those uh, changes and, and pressures that employees feel. So no one wants to be forced to go into an office when they don't see value in being in the office, for example. Um, and that's just one tiny example of how um, – changes in the environment have impacted our profession. So I think that, that people need to be appreciated, to feel good about their work. They need a little bandwidth uh, to, to handle the, the volume that's coming at them. And so more and more um, firms are really truly burning out their talent. And that's why we see that there's so much flight because staffing is lean and that burnout is going to continue unless some significant shifts happen in the market. And I'm just curious, are you hearing any firms really taking action on this, you know, really being forward thinking or is right now kind of still a figuring it out phase? I don't obviously have insight to what's happening in, in many firms uh, beyond those that I've worked with. Um, and I, I think that right now the firm is still very much fixated on the idea of growth through M&A and private equity, and that is a massive distraction from the future of our industry. I think uh, succession planning and workforce development, like you're talking about, should be on the front burner, not the back burner, because those are really the challenges that firms uh, are gonna face in the next five to 10 years. A consistent message we've heard from our guests this episode is the need to be proactive and collaborate, both internally and externally. OSCPA takes its role seriously in lending support to these efforts and on March 16th held a Workforce Development Town Hall event at Columbus State Community College to convene leaders in the profession on next steps for tackling the talent crisis. Like Steve and Allison said, resolving these issues will take time and dedication and we're committed to being part of the solution. We're releasing new episodes every Wednesday, and next week on the podcast, we're going to hear the student perspective and what it's like studying accounting today during the talent crisis. 
We'll also hear from high school educators and how they're working to expose more students to the profession. Please subscribe and download wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have questions or comments about the series, you can contact me at jsalerno, J-S-A-L-E-R-N-O, at ohiocpa.com. Thanks for listening.